census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Episode 276 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Rahal, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. And we are brought to you here in the Pat Cave of Magenta Manor by the Dorkening Podcast Network. And as a result, we are sponsored by Deadly Grounds Coffee. Once you go deadly, you have to make a very difficult decision as to whether or not you are going to return to your previous coffees. I say don't do it, but, you know, I'm a little biased. I am not here by myself, though. I am joined by my co-host on the show, my co-host in, in life. She is... <gasps> The Baroness of Bordeaux, the Countess of Cabernet, the Mistress of Mor- Merlot, not Morlow. Well, you could get Morlow. Uh, like, give me more. More Merlot. Morlow. The uh, Queen Regent of Rosé, the Sorcerer of Sangria. See, I just threw in okay. the Sorcerer of Sangria. You keep complaining. I know, I keep that saying that my, I can't remember everything, and then I just add so more shit. so long, and that you can't remember it, but you are the one who has come up with 99%. Well, you're also the the, uh, uh, the Michael Phelps of wine, the real housewife of Transylvania, the queen of the monsters, and an honorary Lizzie. You are... Ashes Von Nightmare. So in order to prepare for today's episode, I've been doing a lot of spicy things. I've been oh. eating a lot of spicy foods. I've been I've been consuming a lot of spices. I've been listening to a lot of Spice Girls. You did just get the vinyl, the pink vinyl. Colors of the world, spice up your life, every boy and every girl, spice up your life. Space up? People of the world, space up your life. Yeah, space uh... up your life. That's like, and that's what we're gonna do today. Right, we are talking about NASA. That's what we're going NASA. to Dune today. Oh, send <laughs> yes, uh, we're, spice up your life. We're gonna be talking about Paul Blartrades, Maldib. Uh, <laughs> no, we, we're we're gonna be discussing uh, the different portrayals of Paul Atreides from the 1984 Dune by Kyle MacLachlan and the. 2021 that's what year it is right 10,191 yeah that yes. that version of dune uh played by timothy chalamet so uh we're going to be talking about that so you know we had uh you know some some rousing conversation in both your page and in the group because this is a uh you know what we thought was a much better remake than the 1984 version or at least i thought that so it got us thinking what are some of the best and worst sci-fi remakes? And you guys really uh, came to play with these. So, Ashes, what are you? Ugh. Sorry, uh, what do you? Uh, what so, do you have? so new friend Austin German said Total Recall was the worst, and he couldn't think of the best. 
There's a, a a running commentary revolving around Total Recall because the Arnold version is which you haven't seen, which we're gonna have to cover. So we'll have to do a compare and contrast. But the Arnold version is so good, and it's you know yeah, Michael I Ironside and seen either uh, version. Sharon so Stone I can't, you know. and Arnold and and yeah, they, there's some. There's some really good, and you know, there's a lot of uh, homage to uh, Hitchhiker's Guide in this, especially the triple-breasted horror of Eroticon Six, but that's uh, neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, Total Recall. A lot of people brought that up. So, uh, on the group, uh, two people, Joey DiCarlo and Torin Davison. Um, well, Joey just posted a GIF, uh, but Torin said, um, "Battlestar Galactica." Because uh, he posted a gif of uh, Katie Sackhoff, who was in Battlestar Galactica, if I'm not mistaken. So Battlestar, I, this, that's one that I've never watched, so I'm not overly familiar. But uh, but yeah, all right, that's a solid pick. Uh, I've heard good things about that. Uh, what else do you got? So movie expert, director, friend of ours, Joe Lemieux, uh, he said... John Carpenter's The Thing as the best, and several people actually said that. Um, you know, Dynamo Mars said The Thing. Uh, let's see. El Goro. Uh, uh, writer, director Andrea Willanen said The Thing. Um, El Goro to the said point, that. Yeah, to the point where somebody actually asked, The Thing was a remake, and Yes, the thing is actually a remake. Believe it or not, 1955. I want to say uh, Howard Hawks' version of the thing from another world, which is actually what Laurie is watching with the kids in 1978's Halloween. They're watching the thing from another world. Uh, that's what's on TV yes. at the time. Yes. Um, but yeah, uh, that was one of my picks as well. But I decided to change it. Uh, that was one of my picks as as well. I think the the thing, uh, you know, we actually did an episode on McCready. Uh, There's some thing years about ago. McCready. Uh, the thing is just a, it's a it's a cinematic masterpiece in my opinion. It's a perfect film. Um, I can't, yeah, yeah, I can't really find any faults with it. The acting is brilliant. The writing is brilliant. And even. The, uh, I didn't want to. I didn't mean to cut you off, but like even one of the scenes where people are speculating, like you know, we see the dog go into a room and we see someone's silhouette, and everyone's like, "Oh, it's this guy! It's that guy!" No, it's not. It was just some random, like, random person that they put in there because it kind of like his hair and his face kind of looked like he could be a couple of different characters, but it wasn't one of the actors. It was just some I mean, random guy. The, the practical effect, like this was a master class for practical Botten. effects. Really, uh, just absolutely brilliant. And the storytelling, the writing, oh my God, the the end where everyone's pointing fingers at each other and, and, and not knowing who, you know, to the point where sometimes you don't even know, like, am, am, I, the, am I the thing? Did, did I do it? <laughs> am I, like, did am I, I win? Am I infected? I don't know. Am um, I uh, the thing? Yeah, it's just it's brilliant uh, to the point where talking about it makes me want to watch it again. Yeah. Um, and Joe said uh, the worst is Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes. And I did comment on actually a couple of us commented on that. Uh, the one thing I said about Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes is that it is far more faithful uh, a far more faithful faithful adaptation of Pierre Boulez's original book 
than uh, the uh, 1968 version, which was produced by Rod Serling, who you may know as the guy from the beginning of every Twilight Zone episode. Uh, you know, and he wrote a bunch of the episodes as well. So that twist at the end with the Statue of Liberty, although to be fair, uh, when you walk out onto a strange planet and you're like, hmm, everyone speaks the same language as me. Hmm. I can breathe the air. No problem. The atmosphere doesn't kill me. Like there's, you know, everything is very similar to my home planet in that wacky, you know, like, yeah, that should have tipped him off. Um, I have uh, a couple on here that didn't that also didn't say uh, the worst. Uh, it came from the 508 production. Said until a week ago, I had a very different answer. That is now Dune. So I am assuming that they meant best. Yeah. So my guess is that's Jimmy Lamb's uh, commenting, and I recall seeing in my feed that he was very uh, enthusiastic about watching Dune. Yes. And was even more enthusiastic after watching Dune. So. Uh, yeah, he and, 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 and he wasn't enthusiastic because it was over. Like it, it was, it lived up to his expectations and then some. So. Um, you know, and, and to kind of elaborate on that, uh, yeah, you know, I'm glad that I watched the 84 version first. I like, I didn't hate it. You know, we're going to talk about that the, in the, in the discussion. Um, I didn't, I didn't hate it, uh, but I didn't love it. I liked it. There were parts that I really liked parts that were, uh, a bit PC. Um, but I think that the fact that they're breaking this up into two different parts, the, the remake anyways, into two different parts um, is going to give you a bit more of the story. Like, I, th I feel like the story is going to make more sense. Well, I think they've already given us way more of the story. Like, they covered everything that was in the first movie. Uh, you know, if you were to take, like, where the plot goes from A to B, they've covered everything that was in this, you know, at the same time. However... They also gave you a lot more character development and depth and, you know, background. And I think they delved into the source material a lot more because, you know, as as we'll mention later on, like the running times are about the same. But like where the first part one stops is about halfway through where 1984 stops. So um, let's see. What do I have next? I have... Um, Santino, our buddy uh, Santino from Amalgamania, said uh, RoboCop and Dread. Uh, Dread gets praised, but RoboCop really got slept on because of the biased bias for the original. But overall, it was a pretty good action flick. I would have liked to have seen a sequel. Worst probably goes to Total Recall. So another Total Recall. Uh, but I agree. The you it really liked Dread. I well, I mean, I liked Dread because of Lena Headey. Right, but Carl Urban was but, also. I mean, Carl Urban was fucking badass, and it was it was a really fun film. Well, it was also like they were taking this one seriously. The one that came out in like '97 with Stallone and Armand Desante and fucking Rob Schneider. It's because they had just worked together on Rob Demolition Schneider Man. Schneider is a carrot. Um, it's like they were trying to force 
that dynamic on people, and it's just it wasn't going to work. Please don't ever force Rob Schneider on me. Just just don't. Um, it's not, it's not going to end well. Uh, but I, I thought that the remake of Dread was really good. There was like some there was a bit of camp to it, and uh, very little though. But, but I mean, for there, the there most was part, an, enough camp to it. But I thought the story was fantastic, and it was really entertaining, and I had a lot of fun with it. And the best part, again, because it stayed true to the character. Um, he never took his helmet off, as opposed to Stallone's like, you gotta see my face, otherwise people aren't gonna know it's me. Like, you could ever not know it was Stallone if he had that helmet on. And his, uh, his sidekick, um, uh, was it Olivia Thurlby? I think so. Uh, she was fantastic too. Like the the entire cast was, did a really great job. That was, yeah, that was, that was a really good remake. Yeah. Uh, and... The RoboCop remake, again, amazing cat. Michael Keaton, Gary Oldman, uh, Sam Jackson, like, amazing cast. And then it was, I forget the guy's name, but he plays uh, Rick Flagg in the Suicide Squad films. He was, uh, he took over for Peter Weller as the titular RoboCop. Uh, they made him sleeker. They made him look really cool. Um, he wasn't, like, this clunky, like... You know, he was barely, you know, in the originals, he was barely more mobile than the Ed 209. But with this, like, he had, like, super speed and he could, like, leap long distances. And, you know, he could, you know, had this advanced targeting system, which, you know, first RoboCop had. But this was so much better, like, you know, modernized. Um, I do think that they deserved it. What are you laughing about? Well, see, you're mispronouncing his name. It's not RoboCop. It's Rob O'Cop. He's Irish. Oh, Robot Cop? <laughs> Robert Cop? Robert Cop. I don't know yeah. if you guys have ever seen, like, those knockoff toys. <laughs> but there's Robert Cop. Robert Cop. I'll be back. Like, <laughs> the only thing that threw me off about the RoboCop remake was the fact that he had a fake arm but a real hand. Like, that... That messed me up. It's like, how does he have a real hand, but his arm is cybernetic? I will also say, though, when they stripped away all the armor and, like, Gary Oldman's like, yeah, this is what you look. He's like, get this off me. Get me out of the suit. And he's like, all right. And he strips him down. And it's just like a face, the hand and, like, some internal organs. And he's like, ah, this is scary. I don't like it. Yeah. So uh, it was... That's a solid remake. He did not shoot anyone in the dick that I remember, but solid remake. Um, our uh, our buddy Steve Van Sampson, he went a total different direction. He said the best remake was The Fly. So 1986's uh, Gina Davis, Jeff Goldblum, uh, The Fly, directed by David Cronenberg. Also one of the greatest body horror films of all time. Mm. Um, I will say they definitely took a couple of base elements from the first movie, and then that was about it. Like, there was no fly with Seth Brundle's head, you know, zipping around, getting caught in a spider web, which was amazing yeah, in the original. Yeah, do you remember what they did, how they helped him? fucking guy smashed him with a newspaper and killed him <laughs> like it's like that's fucked up it's like oh here's evidence that everyone you know wasn't lying about this well i'd better smash him with a newspaper wah, wah. yeah so that was that i i i totally agree 
Uh, what do you got? So our friend Leanne said Blade Runner. I don't know if that's, the, she didn't specify it was the, the probably, best or worst. My guess is maybe best. I, it's not a reboot, though. It's a sequel. But, I mean, it's it's a sequel that reboots the franchise. Yeah, but I guess because you're switching from Deckard Cain to whatever, not Justin Timberlake. The fuck's his name? Ryan Gosling. Wow. Um, how, how do you... They, how? They look the same to me. They, 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 they're they, built the they same. Don't. They look the same. But they're, they don't. They're the same guy. Don't, Dynamo Mars is going to come after you. Well, that's fine. Like, they're the same guy. The venomous sharks that they found in, in London will get him first. Yeah. Venomous sharks in London. How? What does that have to... He's here. They have passports. Okay. So anyways... Um, yeah, I mean, I can I can see where you're coming from, especially because it's uh, by the same director who did Dune, Denis Villeneuve. Uh, you know, so he definitely has a thing for uh, oversaturated color sequels because mm. uh, we do get a lot of yellows and, and like blues and like brownish orange hues in... Uh, both of those movies, although it was more red in Blade Runner, and both of them have Dave Bautista in them, so yeah, I can I can see where you're going with that. It's kind of like a passing the torch type thing. Uh, our buddy Spencer Gray says the best is a toss up between Dread and The Thing, and the worst is The Mummy. And I know he's not talking about Brendan Fraser. I'm fairly certain he's talking about the Tom, Tom Cruise. Cruise. Because that was not good. Um, so what have you got? But I mean, shout out to uh, Sophia Batella. Oh, she was great as the mummy. She was phenomenal. She was great. I will pretty much watch her in anything. Oh, uh, yeah. How her as Hotel Gazelle, Artemis? Yes. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, Gazelle in The Kingsman. Yes. Um, she was really good in Star Trek Three, uh, Atomic Blonde. If you haven't seen Atomic Blonde, like there's a topless makeout scene with her and um, Charlize Theron. Oh, really? Yeah, before uh, before a, a, a fight with uh, what's his name from Split, McAvoy. Oh, so I know what we're gonna cover next week. What Split? <laughs> Atomic Blonde. Yeah, you haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. It's really good. But now I'm even more intrigued. Um, so our writer, director, and just all-around badass friend, Andrea Wolanin, she said, Worst, Ghost in the Shell, Invasion mm. of the Body Snatchers from the 70s, Godzilla 98, Oof, yeah. Man of Steel, and Flash Gordon. See, I would put... Retur Superman returns well above Man of Steel, but I can totally see where she's coming from if you didn't like Man of Steel. Superman breaking Zod's neck at the end, spoiler alert, uh, that was like a huge thing. I get it. I get it. And uh, best, in her opinion, is The Thing, uh, yep. 12 Monkeys, Ooh, yeah. and The Fly. Yep. Yep, those are all solid. Um, our buddy El Goro. We knew what he was going to pick. He picked the thing as the best and worst. Uh, Michael Bay's Transformers films. Ooh, like that's a that's Ooh. a solid call. I, I mean, a... it, it makes it makes sense. And and how's this? It the eighty six or the eighty four version. The only reason that like they killed off all these guys 
was to introduce new toys and they were like and people they didn't understand how attached people had gotten to like Optimus Prime and Ratchet and all these other characters that they killed off. They were like, oh, we just wanted to introduce new toys, which is why there's all these new Transformers. <laughs> like, they didn't give a shit about, like, people's emotional connection, but they found out later, which is why Optimus comes back three or four times. That, was the f- that I think, was the first time I watched something and I was like, how is he dead? Like, how does, like, he's, like, the leader. Like, that was, that to me, and I'm sure other people of my age... Uh, who watched the show, that to me, that was our Game of Thrones before Game of Thrones. Where you get attached mm. to this character. It's like, oh, I can't wait to follow Ned Stark. He's an awesome protagonist. Uh, so what do you got? So uh, last on the list is, last but not least, I should say, on my list, is our friend Colleen, who is just a fabulous and fantastic human being. Utterly delightful. She said... Dune 2021 took one of the most intelligent, passionate, strong-willed, and powerful pillar of her family, woman of sci-fi, and reduced her to a weird, anxiety-wracked footnote. I absolutely hate how they took award-winning sets and costumes and makeup and actors and drained them of any emotional connections. But yeah, Dune is my worst sci-fi remake. She said, favorite is also the thing. All right, that's fair. I mean, I she's I can... also like hardcore into Dune. Like I she's mean, read I, them. I get okay. So yeah, I I haven't read. So I I, I don't have as much of an attachment. The books are going to give you volumes about these characters. You know, you're going to learn so much more about these characters. It's going to be more in depth, more verbose. You're going to be able to really establish a relationship with these characters, and sometimes that uh, it doesn't tr- always translate well to film. Um, well, I mean, certain things. I do, I do get what she's saying. Uh, Lady Jessica is. She was way better in the first one. Definitely a hell of a lot more badass in the '84 version than we see in the '21 version. Mess up Javier Bardem. Um, so I'm wondering if we're gonna see. It's almost like she, you know, she's um, <sighs> sidelined for Timothy Chalamet's yes. character development. Yeah. Yes, and uh, yeah, so I, I completely, completely understand her critique of that. So I've got a couple more. We'll we'll fire through these. Our buddy uh, Timmy Cricks, Eight Inch Alchemy. Uh, he said Star Trek has been his favorite, and I will say that you know, as someone who watched a lot of the original Star Trek movies when they came out, um, he thinks that the Star Trek remakes are really good, and you know, I agree with him. Like, it's definitely, and I got I got flack for saying this uh, a while ago, before prior to 2015, we'll put it that way. I said, all this is is J.J. Abrams saying, I really want to direct a Star Wars movie because he basically turned Star Trek into Star Wars with not only some of the shot-for-shot recreations that he had in this first Star Trek remake, but also like some of the space battles, like the way things were were filmed and like the CGI and like the way the battles played out. And people were like, oh, I can't believe you're saying that. Oh, oh, oh." and then he directed two out of three sequels, so... Um, uh, newcomer to the group Zahir Al Daoud, and I hope I pronounced that correctly. If I didn't, I apologize. 
Uh, he said the best is Battlestar Galactica, and the worst is the unfinished Lost in Space pilot from 2004, which I am not familiar with. Uh, I do remember the Lost in Space movie that came out, I want to say 98, 99, with Lacey Chabert and mm-hmm. Heather Graham and the fucking How You Doing guy from Friends. You, oh, Matthew LeBlanc? Matt LeBlanc, yeah, I... I how you do, the how you do if, you say the how you doing guy and I'm thinking Wendy Williams you know how you doing no I was thinking uh, the guy but from that's Friends different different guy yeah um, and our buddy Coop said his his favorite was Total Recall so you know, there's a lot of people to on, each their own but you know what nobody was like you know it's no it no it was a shitty remake the thing fuck that nobody said that so so ashes yes what's your favorite i mean i, I the thing see i i was trying to come up with you something know, i was else. trying to come up with something else um you know some people mentioned some other things that were fantastic uh to kind of elaborate a little more on the star trek films i am not not a trekkie i, I cannot get a really get into any of the, the we're gonna the have star to trek watch some of them universe and stuff fortunately um, i've got all I of the six movies on tape bits and pieces of the newer star trek films and you know what they're not bad. Well, I, They're I, actually pretty fun. I have the first six. So it's the motion picture, uh, Wrath of Khan, Search for Spock, Voyage Home, uh, something in the undiscovered country. Oh, final, final. No, I don't know. Uh, but I have the first six on VHS, and then we own the other three um, remakes. And to kind of stretch this a little bit, uh, I'm going to say Star Wars. See, I honestly thought like I was I was thinking about this because a lot of people like kind of The Force Awakens is a remake of is essentially a remake of well, A I New mean, Hope. It's it's a reboot. Right. It's it's rebooting the franchise. It's a sequel, but it's also like it's kind of like what we were and saying with Total Recall because the other the original actors are too old, so you have to kind of push the story forward to let somebody else take right, over. Right, but you know they didn't just leave the old actors, these old characters that you've grown to love. You know they didn't just it's abandon two of those them. With Harrison Ford, we're talking. You know about. the it's they they brought these characters with them or the essence of these characters with them, and uh, the Force Awakens is just you know. Uh, blew my mind like I loved seeing it in theaters I had such a good time with that film and and, you know unfortunately I don't have that opinion about every Mm. film in the most recent trilogy of Star Wars but but The Force Awakens I was just ah like I mean got up and cheered you know at parts because you know and 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 tears Mm -hmm. and as somebody who is is such a fan of the original trilogy episodes four five and six um you know and in my opinion star wars what they're doing expanding the universe perfect don't ever remake yeah just keep any of these films i don't Don't think they ever remake them especially like four five and six do never never touch those films they are perfect i don't think disney will ever remake anything however keep 
expanding the universe. Like the Mandalorian, beautiful. We're getting the X-wing Boba thing. Fett, you know, uh, uh, and series. Ca- uh, where, Cassie and uh, Andor's uh, backstory. You thing know, we're is getting Ahsoka Tano. We're getting you know all of these other characters. You know, you have the the animated series and stuff, the Clone Wars Rebels. and everything. Like, like that's fantastic. Keep expanding out that way. You know, don't ever remake these films because they are just so fucking perfect. I don't th- you can't because they've just keep building on the mythology so you, right, you but, can't. Right, but but and, and that's perfect. But another property that Disney owns is Marvel and one of the remakes that I think has been good is Spider-Man. That's not sci-fi. A kid getting bitten by a radioactive spider to gain superpowers, that's science fiction. It's not science fact. It's not fantasy. It's not a historical documentary. Ugh, fine. But like, I'm just saying, like, that's not my favorite. But that's that's a really good one. No, it is a good one. Um, especially because they've done it several times. Um, and I think with varying levels of success. Oh, and I'm really excited for the new Spider-Man film yes. coming out. What next year? Uh, I think two years. I think later. I thought it was later this year, but it might mm. be next year. Uh, I don't know. They keep changing the schedule, so I don't. I don't know. Um, for me, I would. Well, what do you think is the worst? My, oh, you want me to go my worst right now? Or do you want? Unless you want me to go. Go first. do your best right. first. So the best, obviously, the thing is up there. But uh, I'm gonna say, uh, actually, kind of piggybacking on what Andrea said. She said the worst was 1998's Godzilla. I'm gonna say 2014's Godzilla. And then followed by King Kong versus Godzilla and uh, Kong Skull Island, because Kong's obviously a remake, which has been done several times, 33, 76, and 2005. Uh, So Kong Skull Island is one of the best sci-fi remakes. Uh, And then King of the Monsters. Like those three Godzilla films, those those four total films right there. Have been. I mean, I I disagree with you on Godzilla versus Kong, uh, but I think it's better than the original. King of the Monsters. Oh, I think I think this Godzilla versus Kong was better than the original, but there were a lot of problems and a lot of holes Uh, with it. Yeah, yeah. It was better. It was better than the original. Like you could actually, because of the CGI and the uh, improvement in technology, you like you could give them their actual abilities as yes. opposed to two guys in rubber suits. Yes. So, um, I'm gonna go with the the legendary Godzilla films. Um, so, how about your worst? So when this came out, I decided to give it a go. I've watched this film once. I will never watch it again. Uh, I was excited because they brought back one of the original cast members. I know know what you're going to say. I was really hopeful. Um, I was a little iffy about the casting, but they cast one person in this particular role. It wasn't a double feature, though. That I (laughs) thought was a really good casting decision. Um, but not enough to save the movie. Correct. The Rocky Horror Picture Show. See how I knew you were going to say that? Uh, yes. That's yes. why I said the du- it wasn't a it's science fiction, but, but not, not a, a double, double feature. feature. Uh, I. 
That's actually when I was going to say. wanted to like it so much because Tim Curry was attached to it, and we all know As a criminologist. how my heart beats for Tim Curry. But they ruined um, the sweet transvestite thing. But, you know, it's... <sighs> and no, it's not because it was Laverne Cox that was playing. No, it's I was really excited about the had, casting of Laverne Cox. But it, she there, did the reveal too early. But, but not only that, like, there's something androgynous about Tim Curry the Tim Curry Dr. Frankenfurter character you know that just fit there was something really shocking and outrageous about it and you know and and the confidence that he had taking on this role is just you can't imitate that and not saying that Laverne Cox didn't do a good job not saying that she didn't have the confidence but there wasn't it, it wasn't it wasn't shocking enough that, it yeah, wasn't outrageous was... enough you know they because this it was aired on television they really uh like they toned it down. They added a little water to the juice, you know? Like, they, they really toned it down. They really diluted it. And it's like when there's a little <sighs> bit of medicine left in the in the bottle, and you add a little bit of water, kind of shake it up, so now you have a little bit more. Yeah, that's what it was. You it know, wasn't as effective. It just, it, it, exactly. Like, this this show, it's... it's this this film, this musical, you know? And, and here's the thing. You know, the Rocky Horror... Show, show, you know, you know, the the Rocky Horror Show is different from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Rocky Horror Picture Show is the film. Uh, the, you know, Rocky Horror, like that's just the musical. And I am so on board. Anybody can do musicals, you know. Um, just like you, we go and we see the Shadow Cast. You know, anybody can play these characters. But there's a study that happens when you portray, you know, these characters on stage, or if you're doing a Shadow Cast. Well, it's still performing on stage. You know, there's uh, a certain something that you take from previous performances of other actors in these roles, and you take that with you into yourself portraying these characters. So I'm not talking about the stage. I'm talking about the actual film version, because there is a difference between the two. Um, but it, it just... It just... It made I re I I really wanted to like this because Rocky Horror is one of my favorite films. Uh, I wasn't feeling well the other night, and that's what I watched because I'm like, you know what's gonna make me feel better? Tim Curry in drag, like that always makes my heart skip a beat. Uh, it just it just it just wasn't good. They weren't able to 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 capture the essence, the magic of that original cast back in 1975 you know and and it's almost like they didn't even try you know they they diluted it down so much that it wasn't even the same thing and no, it wasn't good at all it just it made me it made me so sad to the point where after because we went over to a friend's house to watch it and after we were like we have to put on the original because this was just wash the taste out of your mouth yeah terrible. it was awful it was terrible you know and, and i tried to give these actors the benefit of the doubt i tried to you know but they they changed things and they tried to be funny when it, they tried too hard it wasn't effortless you know it wasn't 
it wasn't dirty enough. Like it wasn't, there's a little bit of filth. Like there's a little bit of stank on the Rocky Horror Picture Show 1975. And it was a little too polished. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't that great. You know, uh, and, and I just, I, I questioned some of the casting and mm-hmm. I questioned some of the costuming and I questioned some of the, you know, I, I, again, just the, the overall decisions that were, that were made. But yeah, that, that's my worst. And I, I could go on, but I'm going to yeah. spare you. Um, for me, I kind of agree with a couple of people. Total Recall, uh, I haven't seen the whole thing because it just, it wasn't, it wasn't good. Uh, the Mummy with Tom Cruise, we watched it, eh. Uh, but in that vein, uh, the Wolfman with uh, uh, Benicio del Toro and um, Anthony Hopkins, it just it didn't it didn't do it for me. Um, I know that's not sci-fi; that's more horror. But like, but here's the thing: like, horror and sci-fi often walk a fine line between mm-hmm. each other. You know, there's a lot of crossovers. So, you know, there there's a lot of sci-fi elements to, you know, I different will, horror films. I will also say uh, Terminator Genesis, which attempted to kind of rewrite the timeline. You know, with oh, a Terminator came back when I was a little kid because John Connor's a Terminator now. Like, eh, like that. Yeah. Um, so I'm gonna go with those. So that's our list. Uh, we're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna discuss Paul Atreides, and uh, yeah. So we'll be right back. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, It's scary. Do you have a hankering for horror knowledge? We have such sights to show you. Do you require raging retro reviews? Do you desire discussions with devastatingly dashing dorks? To have a free. The Dorkening Podcast Network has nearly 30 shows to satisfy all of your nerdy, geeky, and dorky needs, from horror reviews and celebrity interviews. Hi, I'm Adam Green, the director of the Hatchet Films and the star of Allison. Hi, this is Dominic Pace, who played the bounty hunter Gecko from The Mandalorian. Hi, I'm Mike Price. I'm a writer on The Simpsons. I co-created Epis for Family. Hi, guys. This is Dee Wallace from E.T. and Cujo. Hi, my name is Kurando Mitsutake, director of Gun Woman and Karate Kill. Hi, this is Samantha Newark, the voice of Jem and Jerrica from the original Jem and the Holograms cartoon series. As well as nostalgic trips into the past, pop culture, the latest in entertainment news, and so much more. Featuring a variety of shows and hosts that will simultaneously enrage, enlighten, and entertain you. Check out the Dorkening Podcast Network. My mom says I'm cool. 
Available on iTunes, Spotify, thedorkening.com, and wherever fine podcasts can be found. A beginning is a very delicate time. Know then that it is the year 10,191. In this time, the most precious substance in the universe is the spice melange. The spice extends life. The spice exists on only one planet in the entire universe. The planet is Arrakis, also known as Dune. You are about to enter a world where the unexpected. Many dangers exist on Arrakis. The unknown and incredible secrets have been kept on this planet. And the unbelievable meat. I see two great houses. Where kingdoms are built on Earth that moves. But we have worms sign the likes of which even God has never seen. And skies are filled with fire. The prophecy which will cleanse the universe and bring us out of darkness. When a young warrior is called upon to free his people. A world that holds creation's greatest treasure. He who controls the spice controls the universe. And greatest terrors. A world where the mighty... This is genocide. The deliberate and systematic destruction of all life on Arrakis. The man. enjoyed that uh that trailer that was a 1984 trailer uh back when kyle mclaughlin was just full of angst father the sleeper has awakened <laughs> so overly dramatic well but here's the thing that was kyle mclaughlin's first feature actually i think that was like his first acting bit ever it was definitely his first film i mean whatever um, he did was like enough you know, to impress david lynch to do twin peaks he did anything else uh before that i don't think he uh maybe he was in theater maybe maybe he did the theater uh he was he but, was projecting for the back of the auditorium but that was the his back of the desert first credited 
uh, film role. Like he wasn't terrible in that. Actually, I thought it was a good casting but, like, choice. There, there were certain times where oh, it was but, just but I mean, like the, so ridiculous. The, but I mean, the, Dune nineteen eighty four was just kind of uh, ridiculous as a whole. They used so many Star Wars sounds. Well, I mean, I mean, Empire had just come. Actually, no, Return had just come out. So they're like, ooh, we have all these sound effects we could use. Like, I'm surprised, like, the, the, the introduction of the Shai Hulud, which I didn't think they were that shy because they just kept popping up all over the place. Oh, hey, I'm a worm. The, the Shai Hulud. Doing worm stuff. Like, you know, opens up its mouth and you don't hear, like, a lightsaber sound or, like, a Wah. TIE fighter sound. <laughs> that was the worst <laughs> TIE fighter. It, that was the worst impression of a TIE fighter I've ever heard. <laughs> Uh, fun trivia fact, TIE stands for Twin Ion Engines. I actually won the uh, Super Mega Fest 2016 Star Wars Trivia Contest by knowing that answer. Yeah, yeah, how about that? So, uh, we both just watched, like literally just finished watching Dune about half an hour ago, the, the 2021 version, and um, you had just watched... 1984's version like a week ago. Correct. Uh, and I rewatched it and it had been long enough that I totally Felt forgot. Felt like a first time watch? Yeah, I totally forgot Patrick Stewart was in it. I totally forgot that Jurgen Prochnow was uh, Duke Leto. And one of the first differences uh, before we start talking about Paul and the difference between Kyle MacLachlan and, and uh, uh, Timothy Chalamet, I mean... Besides the fact that Timothy Chalamet actually looks like he's uh, a, an adolescent growing well, up, so yeah, so, as opposed to forty-year-old Kyle MacLachlan. Well, okay, so he wasn't forty. Kyle MacLachlan was twenty-five when he shot uh, Dune, and Timothy Chalamet was twenty-three. So but there was just looks, a two-year age right, difference between but the two. He looks Timothy 17. Chalamet definitely does have. Uh, he still has his boyish. He's looks he's got a very him. small frame. He can he can play uh, so. In the in the book, uh, Paul Atreides is only fifteen. Yeah, and so he looks I mean, seventeen he, in this. He passes for late teens. Yeah, he passes for a teenager. Know. Um, he he can he can at least pass for eighteen. And know, he's five years younger than he actually is. A little um, he's got like that teen angsty thing to him. So here's the as thing opposed to about like about Timothy Chalamet. I love watching him act. Uh, it's not it's not an attraction thing. I mean, obviously he's a really nice looking young man, but but that but that's not it. Uh, I've seen him in several roles. Um, you know, Call Me by Your Name. Um, oh God, the one that he did with uh, Steve Carell, where he played the the drug addict. Uh, that was that was so. Foxcatcher. That was not Foxcatcher. Um, I don't know. I'm just guessing. Oh God, it was something about oh, like the boy. Oh, Despicable Me. <laughs> yes, it was Despicable Me. Uh, but um, he was a minion number seven. Oh, it's it's like something something the boy something about the boy. Not not about a boy because that's the a completely different film. Um, Lady Bird. Well, he wasn't Lady Bird. Beautiful boy. Beautiful boy, yes. I just fin- he was good in Lady Bird, too. Um, I mean, Little his, his Women. character was... Fun you know. fact, part of Little Women was filmed on the same at the same mansion where I just finished my first film. That is a fun in fact. In Concord, Massachusetts. Uh, 
But yeah, I I have loved everything that I, he's just brings. I may this, have used the same bathroom as Timothy Chalamet. You, you congratulations! <laughs> wow, that that is a fun fact. Uh, <laughs> but there's there's this presence that he brings to his role, uh, or I should say roles, um, and almost like an effortlessness to his acting. I know he does do a lot of. Uh, I don't think he's so much a method actor as just an actor who prepares really well for his roles. Yeah, like he definitely he had again he had that youthful angsty look to him, like he was a, a teenager, like even to the part where he's like, I don't want to be Duke, I just want to like play in the sand and build castles, and I don't want to be Duke. Yeah, so you don't need to like be that. the Duke. You can still just be the one thing I've always needed you to be, my son. <laughs> but they definitely like there were some meta jokes in there, like. Oh, the I've always wanted to be a pilot. Yeah, Oscar Isaac <laughs> saying I always wanted to be a pilot. And uh, Jason Momoa saying, oh, you put on some muscle. Really? Nope. Like, <laughs> you know, to kind of give because he has that uh, that build to him of I'm uh, a, an adolescent, you know, late teen growing into my, you know, male adult body. As opposed to Kyle MacLachlan, who you look he, at him, you're like, yeah, he's done growing. He's he's done. Like Timothy yeah, Chalamet Timi- he, has that. Timothy Chalamet is kind of a twink. Yeah, he has that bit of a, a yeah. like, small build yeah. to him. Yes, but like yes. he uh, could Timothy- hit a growth spurt and get bigger. Right. You know, there there's. Yeah, yeah, but but you know, to give Kyle MacLachlan a credit. For that film specifically being his first like feature film role, uh, his first credited role, anyways, and to kind of have that at 25, you know, there are, there are, there's a time when you think, wow, 25 so old, and then there's a time where you think, wow, 25, you're still a kid. I mean, I know you're not a kid, but like you're still a kid, you know. Uh, to be able to take on all of that, Doom 1984 was a lot, and it, was, it couldn't have been easy filming in the desert. A lot, and from what I've read about some of the behind the scenes stuff, and you know, the fact that David Lynch has completely disowned this film because he didn't so much have a say in the final cut uh, to the point where, you know, he doesn't even consider it a final cut. Um, and he won't talk about it. It says like, Alan Smithy on it. Uh, he won't talk about it. Um, they actually approached him for the most recent Dune, and he was like, I, it's almost like opening old wounds for him. He just didn't want to be a part of it in any way. Um but I give Kyle MacLachlan all the credit in the world. Uh, memorizing all of those lines and all of that choreography and some of those really difficult scenes, especially in the sand, could not have been the uh, best conditions to be working under. And to have that be your first film, I just, I thought he did a really fantastic job with what was given to him. Like, you know, uh, with he was working really well with what he had. Yeah, well, it's like the old saying, do what you can with what you have where you are. But you know, yeah, and, we and kind of just... There's a, there's a huge difference between... You know, well, I mean, obviously there's a huge difference between the first two films right off the bat because the second film is two and a half hours long and we're it's getting a half part two. Of the first film, really. Correct. Uh, part two, Dune, part Maybe two, the first electric. Third. Yeah, I would say Dune, part two, electric boogaloo is expected October 2023. See, I was, I was saying they should have cast John Travolta so he could be like, oh, sir, the, you are the scout. What is. What is the planet Arrakis like? And he could be like, Sandy. 
Um, but yeah, we kind of sidetracked ourselves because we weren't going to start talking about Paul yet because I wanted to talk about a couple of the characters. Uh, like Baron Harkonnen in the first film, he was like cartoonish and ridiculous, but Stellan Skarsgård <laughs> made him absolutely so fierce. fucking creepy. And we haven't even seen the last of him. There's more of him coming. And apparently he gets even more... Well, apparently he wanted us to see a lot more of him because he's like, why don't I do more naked scenes? That's a terrible Stellan Skarsgård. But he's like, why don't I do more naked scenes? Like, that's what he wanted. But, like, he was in the goop for a while. Like, it was... Yeah, he was but his character is, Yeah, his, his, his character is, is scary, intense, and very intimidating, uh, you know, in opposition to the his 84 counterpart which was almost comedic clown cartoon yeah very clown-like in a sense um we also didn't have sting's character in this version i know it's too bad we couldn't get like adam levine to play to play that guy oh no thanks or like no thanks uh chad kroger why (laughs) why I'm going to shut this podcast down right now. <laughs> no. Uh, you know, and, and seeing... Um, but at the same time, we didn't get Brad Dorif. No, but we got I the guy who I always fuck up his last name. David... Dalmatian. Del- I always do David Dalmatian. Uh, you know, spot guy from the Suicide Squad film. Polka Dot Man? Yes. That's not a hard name to remember. It's Del literally guy. just... I, I, that's what I said. He's the one with the, the spots. But he's... David the... Dalmatian. It's literally just the one with the what he looks like. Uh, I thought he did a fantastic job. Uh, the makeup that they did on him was brilliant. Kenneth McMillan played Baron Harkonnen. Um... Josh Brolin in the role that Patrick Stewart held. Gurney. Yes. Uh, okay. He's Thanos. He's like, I am inevitable. And he kept uh, snapping his fingers at Timothy Chalamet. You know, I, we didn't get too, too much of his character. Well, yeah, because he disappears and comes back later on. Right. So I'm expecting to see a lot more of him in the second part. Right. He's got to go collect all the Infinity Stones. You know, but at the, the same Infinity time, Spice. we're, you know, Oscar Isaacs is definitely not going to be in the sequel. Uh, Jason Momoa Taco is definitely not going to be in the sequel. Although he, he did was... die a very valiant death. Well, yeah, like that's, it was way better than the Duncan Idaho death in the first one where he was like, oh, I beat up this one guy while well, encased mean, in blocks. Well, I that, you know, um... One of the things that I do enjoy about the most recent version is it it takes the time to kind of unpack some of these characters a little bit more. So the '84 version, there was a lot. I mean, you, you got you got a, a story lot. from start to finish, but yeah, there was a lot of plot holes. They glossed over a lot. Uh, they introduced characters just to be killed off, and these characters are supposedly supposed to be, you know, main character not main characters, but important characters to the story. Uh, kind of like Duncan Idaho. You meet him, he's in a couple of scenes, and then he's dead. But you're supposed to care about him, but you don't because you they no didn't really exactly. They didn't really establish that relationship well, also with Momo is and a lot more so charismatic with, than... uh, and well and the same with um duke leto you know he was in a lot more scenes um but in in the newer version they really kind of unpacked his character a oscar bit more. isaacs is definitely more again more charismatic you know, and likable well, and than he Proc has now, more scenes more with a... his son you well, kind of get that relationship a little bit more Jurgen Proc now is also more of a um 
like a a more serious um like I'm trying to think of the word I want to use but like he's more serious and like not dramatic but like he's more of like a uh like a statuesque type uh, character in this movie where we're used to Oscar Isaacs. He's Poe Dameron. Well, having some, you know, joviality to him as opposed to this stoic Jurgen Prochnow who is always like stoic Jurgen Prochnow. Like, he's, uh, like, it gives a little bit more to the character. Um, I like there Zendaya was definitely as well. Because of just the fact that he's Oscar Isaacs, um, the character was definitely more likable. Yes, and they didn't really get into the whole, like... Like, there wasn't this overabundance of exposition at the beginning. Uh, they didn't... Like, in, in the 84 version, like, you see at the very beginning, like, oh, Dune was sent... You know, they were the Atreides was sent to Dune, you know, specifically to be assassinated. You know, and... You know, the Harkonnens are like, oh, yeah, yeah, we totally knew that. And, like, because you get, like, in in this version, you get some, like, cryptic stuff. Like, when is a gift not a gift? You know, like, what? Like, what does that mean? Like, if you haven't seen the first one or you haven't read the books, like, it kind of gives a little bit of that, uh, you know, like, that backs, that um, that lack of exposition kind of gives you more of a like oh shit i didn't realize that's what was going on type of moment as mm-hmm. opposed to them coming out and be like yes we are going to betray them ha 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 like they might as well have been twirling their mustaches <laughs> like you know betray tie, you, t- they're gonna t- tie paul atreides to a train track and just like you know twiddle Come their get him, dudley do right but you know with this one they gave it a little more um little more of a surprise factor the thing that i'm a little bummed that he didn't say if you walk without rhythm you won't attract the worm like he said that but not in those exact words and the one thing that did bother me is like they make this whole huge deal while he's watching his holograms at the beginning about like this is how you have to walk there or else the worms are gonna get you and nobody fucking does it except for one scene they're constantly running and flipping across the desert and once do they do it? And it doesn't matter because there's a shitload of worms anyways. So they're like, oh, yeah, we're, we're walking without rhythm. And like, oh, shit, the worm came anyways. So it's like, does it even really matter? Like, why even point that out? Because they were just like strolling across the desert like there's no problem. So the one scene that I took issue with in the most recent one that I actually preferred in the 84 version was when he puts his hand in the box. I thought that the 84 version, when you had the, um, was it the Bene, Bene Gesset, Bene Gesset, it was like the Reverend Bene Mother, Bene Gesserit, uh, she brings the box and it's like this box of terrors that's supposed to cause you so much pain. Um, she narrates what he's going through. Yeah, like she's suggesting it to him. Like, you know, now you're feeling this, now you're feeling this, and her tone changes, and it gets it's a really intense scene, and I thought that it was so much... I mean, 
don't get me wrong, Timothy Chalamet did a really good job of expressing the, the fear and the pain and the trying to um, withstand all of that and overcome all of that. Uh, he did a good job of, of acting, you know, saying all of that with his facial expressions and stuff. But there's just something about the, the Kyle MacLachlan version of that that I... Uh, I just thought it was better. Yeah, I, I thought they, that that whole thing, you know, kind of like walking you through because, you know, you're envisioning what he's feeling as she's explaining it to you. Not just that. When she uses the voice on him, Kyle MacLachlan was able to resist her a little bit as opposed to Timothy Chalamet just instantly doing what, you know, she wanted him to do. Right. And, you know, like what you're saying, like she's using her powers as in order to oh that's a cat in the closet in order to um okay so does kind of the voice influence. does the voice give you red rum red rum no, vibes yeah no, the voice gives me all. yes red rum no it's it red. what it does remind me of no cuz that's a totally different like psychic entity from the future um uh, if you're what it does give me uh thoughts of is uh the word of God power from preacher where if you're someone uses the word of God on you, like you have to do whatever they say. Like when he tells the guy to go fuck himself and the dude cuts his dick off and shoves it up his own ass. Oh, that's a fun power. Yeah. So the, that's the, the word of God power from preacher that Jesse Custer has. So oh, that's there's fun. That. that. And that's what the voice kind of reminds me of. Um, because it compels you to do whatever you're told. Uh, having the guy that was deaf, that was interesting. Uh, and having the uh, one-handed um, sign language communication going on throughout the whole movie, mm. that was also a nice addition. Again, well, I, I liked... don't know if that was in the books. I haven't read the books. We're just kind of going back and forth between the two so films. So I liked that. Uh, one of the things I really did not like about the 84 version, and several characters did this, was their inner monologue being voiced out. It felt like an episode of Sex and the City. Yeah, it was... Like it just, way too much exposition. It was, it was a lot of exposition with and they could all really read each other's no thoughts. vocalization between the characters. So I thought this was a really good way of kind of expressing, like, hey, uh, you're not technically reading my mind, but I'm sending you hand signals. You know, I'm using ASL uh, well, to not communicate. ASL. But you know, I'm, I'm using SL. Dune SL. <laughs> well, it might be ASL, a tradie sign language. Um. But you know, I'm I'm using these this these hand gestures that you know to to, to communicate with you. So I, I liked that. I thought that made more sense than you know is this a is this a vocalized inner monologue or are they reading each other's minds right now? You know, there's a lot of like I, I don't quite yeah, it was know back what's and forth going a along. Lot. Sometimes they um, were reading each other's minds. Right, right. So there was a. It was a lot. That first film was a lot. But at the scene, you know, in its defense, I kind of really enjoyed it. I know a lot of people seem uh, split by it. Either people really like it or they really hate it. I wasn't a fan. Um, I didn't, ha I mean, I didn't love it. I can't say that I'll ever watch it again, but I, I didn't, I didn't hate it. Glad I watched it. It was an experience. Yeah, it definitely gives you the, uh, like... You know, and, and to be completely honest, because uh, the most recent version is broken up into two parts and you only At get least. half the story, 
you know, uh, in this this first half, you know, seeing the 84 version uh, kind of giving you the whole story or at least most of the whole story, you can kind of flesh together some of the the, the missing pieces, uh, you know, gives you kind of what to maybe expect from this character. What I thought was crazy was the fact that there was so much walking and we didn't see any hobbits. <laughs> Like I was really expecting them to just be. Oh, we did but see we, that we little see bunny mouses. Yes, the the bunny sand, mouses. Sand mouse rabbit who lives in a spider web apparently. Uh, bunny mouses. Those were my favorite. Though that was the best part. Yeah, like it, well, I think it's a nice. And it didn't get eaten by the worm. No, nobody got eaten by the worm except for all those jerks. Well, and that nice lady. She wasn't nice. She was well, a jerk. Doctor. Yeah, but she helped them. Yeah, only because she had no other choice. Like, she's he's like, oh, you have to help us. No, I'm not gonna. No, I'm not gonna. All right, I will. Like, well, she went against the emperor. Right. But she should have gone against them. the emperor the first time and saved everybody. Well, but she learned her lesson. I don't know. If she did. And now she's worm guts. She's worm shit. So. That's what she's gonna get. Uh, but Paul Atreides is a really interesting character, to say the least. Uh, his backstory is kind of bonkers, uh, how he came to be in general. So, Well, what happened was the, the Duke and Lady Jessica loved each other very, very much, well, the, the, and the, the, they did a no-pants hug. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a little bit more to it. So uh, Duke Leto, who was unmarried and didn't have children of his own, needed to have an heir who would succeed him as the Duke of the House of Atreides. His concubine, Jessica, belonged to the Bene Gesserit sisterhood. The Bene Gesserit were known for genetic manipulation and breeding. Jessica was instructed by the sisterhood to give birth to only a female child. But she disobeyed the sisterhood because of her love for Duke Leto and his strong desire for his son. Jessica used her Bene Gesserit training to change the baby's gender from female to male thus Paul was conceived and the future of the house of Trades was born so I guess what was supposed to happen is Jessica was supposed to give birth to a girl and that girl was going to give birth to the one the the the, the um was it Casa Casa Rich the, the Kwisatz Haderach the knick-knack paddywhack. The ni- give a frog alone, yes. Um, do you know that joke? Yes, of course I know that joke. Uh, so anyways, um, she disobeyed them and gave birth to Paul. So Paul was not only trained to be the heir of House of Trades, and you could see that you know in both... Uh, films you know he's he's being trained sometimes you know against his will he doesn't necessarily want to do this but he has to do this uh you know trained in the proper ceremonies and how to be a duke and how to how to rule and whatnot and his mother is training him in the bene gesserit the weirding way the weirding way yes uh so he's being trained by both parents uh trying to fulfill the prophecy of the house of Trades and the prophecy of the bene gesserit yes so he's a lot on his shoulders which i mean i don't blame him for kind of and he didn't know that until he got to that point and like the lady came and was like 
all right, I'm going to put you through excruciating pain for a reason you don't understand. Right, he had, exactly. And if you try to pull your hand away from the excruciating pain, I'm going to jab you in the neck with this fucking death needle. You'll be dead before you hit the ground. Right. This The Reverend Mother just shows up um, pretty much unannounced uh, because she knows that Paul is being trained by Jessica. She's all and, like, surprise, motherfucker. Well, she knows how powerful Jessica is. And because they're all, you know, if you're one with the weirding way, you're kind of all in touch with each other. Uh, she can feel that Paul's presence is growing and that he's becoming more powerful. And he is far more powerful than he actually realizes. And uh, they want to test his uh, almost like test his perseverance test um his control over his emotions right and that's what the whole boxing is you know if you can control your emotions you'll make it out alive but if not then you know we're gonna kill you uh so obviously he survives he survives that and you know is a key part of this whole story and it's again it's it's a lot it's these different worlds um all competing for spice on planet arrakis which is also known as dune and it's really come down to the harkonnens and the atreides that that's the main the main two houses you know main two houses and uh the emperor who controls all of these worlds said you know no more no more harkonnens on dune we want atreides there now we want to give house atreides uh full control over the spice and and whatnot and uh you know pretty much that was a ploy to get rid of house atreides ultimately um a lot of stuff happens uh once they get on to arrakis uh, they meet the Fremen, who are the people who take up residence on Dune. They are the sand people, uh, quite different from the sand people of Star Wars. They have completely adapted to not only inhaling the spice, uh, and the spice is so um, important because it provides the ability to fold time and space to make interstellar interstellar travel possible but it also extends life and helps you uh gain muscle mass uh which the fremen call spiceps uh yes and it also makes a great marinade so yeah there's that sandworm remoulade (laughs) and another big difference speaking of the sandworms um not just their design, but I'm not surprised that the design is different because uh, they look more like lampreys than demogorgons in the mm, newer version. Yeah. But the fact that the Fremen used their teeth, the teeth of the Shai Hulud, to make weapons and even have like a pre-battle like uh, curse, you know, may your blade chip and crack. Because it's it's very reminiscent of you know when uh, European settlers first invaded this country and um, learned how every part of the buffalo is used like there's no waste um, 
and people are you know invaders in this in uh in in dune are uh the uh when they invade the fremen territory they're killed for their body's moisture because you know like we learned in brendan fraser's the mummy uh these are a desert people they value water not gold and as we learned in the 84 version of Dune, uh, part of the plan was to terraform Arrakis, but when they found the spice and found out what it could do, they were like, well, there's money to be made, so why are we going to turn this into a livable place when we can just keep it a hostile environment and subjugate the people to our will and make a shit ton of money? You know, like in Spaceballs. We're not just doing this for money. We're doing this for a shitload of money. <laughs> you know, like that's... And even... Uh, what's his name says that? Baron Harkonnen says the only thing that matters now is income. So, I mean, if there's a... If there's a bigger, like... You know, this is an allegory for, you know, all these billionaires trying to get into space... Uh, that's currently going on, I wouldn't be able to find it. Like, this hits the nail directly on the goddamn head. It's like, oh, I'm just looking to make money and go into space. Like, mm -hmm. that's 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 it right there. So Right, well, your people suffer and starve and... All your workers. Don't have resources like water. Yeah, but they're replaceable. They'll just get new ones. You see all these, like... Uh, all these Harkonnen guys peeing in water bottles, pooping in plastic bags in their delivery trucks, delivering spice everywhere. But no, it's uh, it's very interesting to see the, like the two the like the different ways that things are. It's the same story, but it's being told in a slightly different way to kind of make it uh, more topical. Because in the eighties. As we know, the 80s was all about greed. You know, he who dies with the most toys wins. So that wouldn't be looked at as, oh, look at him. He's a villain because he wants to make money and he doesn't care about how he does it. Now we're seeing Baron Harkonnen portrayed in a different way. Like, he reminds me a lot of, like, Willy Wonka in the 84 version because he's just, like, this goofy, wacky guy, you know. You know, yeah, he kills a few kids here and there, but, you know, he's... He's like this, you know, slightly malicious imp prancing around and floating and hovering, like doing wacky shit. And he's not really that menacing. But like we said, Stellan Skarsgård, way more menacing. I will also say about Paul Atreides in this version, I think I take him more seriously than I do Kyle MacLachlan. But that's not Kyle MacLachlan's fault because... I had seen him in so many other things, like as Trey McDougal, like the impotent jerk from Sex in the City. And, like, he looked pretty much the same, like he, like he hadn't aged. But it's like, eh, I can't take him as seriously. Timothy well, Chalamet, like, he's very intense. So not only that, you know, with the breaking up of the, the films, you know, with, into two parts... We're getting a little more backstory as to, you know, the rise of Paul Atreides. Uh, in the 84 film, he kind of comes right in. You know, he was not necessarily struggling with the 
the weirding way um but he was still trying to find his footing and then he found it really quickly and became really powerful really quickly and became leader of the fremen really quickly and he was usul and he was paul muadib and he was you know the the knickknack paddywhack yes the knickknack paddywhack um you know he was the one you know it, it kind of happened all like really quickly and we didn't see a, a rise to dissent and i think in this one you know so part one ends with him engaging in fremen battle uh overtaking their what is it their their, their number one fighter and Jamis. Jamis. he didn't want to kill him he had never you know jessica spoke up and said you know paul's never killed a man before so, uh, you know, and apparently the Fremen's fight to the death, like it's it's an honorable death to to fight. Uh, so Paul ends up killing their their toughest, best warrior. And that's what gets him into the Fremen, you know, a life for a life. You took his life. We're going to take yours, you know, in a sense that you're going to replace him in our tribe. Right. Essentially, that's that's what it is. Like, you know, the you know whole, and, and that's where Javier Bardem is great in this. We're, you know, can we just talk about this cast for a moment? Because I'm watching it and I'm like, oh, shit, I didn't know this person was in it. I didn't know this person was in it. Oh, great. He's in it, too. You know, I had no fucking clue. I should have paid more attention to the casting, but I didn't. I just saw, you know, Jason Momoa. And I was like, oh, me like Jason Momoa. But yeah, it's uh, a really good cast. Know, but, it, but it's a fabulous cast. And yeah, Javier Bardem is doing a fantastic job but but that's where we, we you leave killed off. my friend you know he uh has just met paul chani 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 five she's he alive just, you know he's just met chani um you know, for real this, this for real you know the the woman of his you know of his dreams literally, literally the woman that he's been having these these premonition like dreams about um you know uh, and and this this future that he's been having dreams about almost like you know again premonitions and uh he he meets her for the first time with this in, in the midst of this whole fremen battle um she's like here borrow my tooth sword well, I mean, she tries to help him out. I mean, no, she doesn't. She doesn't. She's like, she's, here, take this. Oh, yeah, she's like, take this and die a valiant death. You'll, it'll be really cool if you die with one of these swords in your hand. Like, he's a good fighter and you won't suffer. So, like, here you go. You can borrow this for a minute because you're going to be dead in five. So, oh, there's a zombie climbing out of my closet. Hi, little girl. Yeah, as soon as she gets out of there, close it. Here, help her. Help her. She's going to fall. Well, here. Yeah, I, it's all right. I'll keep going. So she immediately, um, she immediately, ow, stepping on my foot. Close that door. So she's uh, talking to, to Paul, and, like, he wants to be like, I had dreams of you. It wasn't weird or anything, but I had dreams of you. And she's like, but he didn't say that. He was gonna, but he kind of, like, wussed out at the end because he's like, well, maybe I don't die and I can tell her later. Like, that'll be my motivation not to die. So I'll uh, I'll give it my best shot. But like you said, it's almost like she's trying to be nice about it. It's almost like she, you know, maybe she looks at him. She's like, no, he's not. Well, I mean, maybe she feels this kind of cosmic connection to him, you know, be because... He's, ha you know, it's, 
you know, so sometimes when you meet someone and you feel that you're supposed to meet them. Yeah, I remember that. You know, uh, I think it might be one of those situations for her. I mean, we don't get much of, of her in this, um, but, you know, it ends with Paul and his mother and the Fremen, you know. Leading them to their, like, base. Right. Um, you know, so we don't see too, too much of his rise to him being, you know, he, he's definitely not Paul Maudib yet, and he's definitely not the one yet, but we do see him um, start to come into his own a little bit. He becomes a little more confident. Which I do like. I like the fact that they didn't do that yet. You know, like and, they're and waiting. And he's not super fully... Uh, He's not super fully um, powerful uh, in the weirding way yet. You know, he has used it a couple of times. He's definitely needed help from his mother, uh, like when they were escaping on the well, trying to escape on the plane. The ornithopter. Yes. Um, And, you know, he's he's shown glimpses like he's had people say that he's super powerful, but he hasn't. He hasn't shown anything. I don't know if you guys can hear that, but that's a zombie yelling. You want to say hi? On the. Uh, Did you like the movie? She's just yelling over there at the. Uh, she liked on the, the chair. sand. She liked the little mouse guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, She's like, oh, that looks like a great litter box. They're all they're doing on Arrakis is harvesting water because you'd never starve because of all the sandwiches there. Yeah, she's making some weird noises. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a really interesting way to kind of tell the same story two different ways. I like the fact that they're giving you so much more um, like visual exposition as opposed to just well, I mean, telling and, you and what's let's happening. Face it, you know, obviously in two thousand because this was supposed to come out last year. You know, obviously in twenty twenty, um, a lot more special effects available i mean not to hate on 84 because i think that they did a good job with what they had you know what they could you know what they had at their disposal you know what they could use for the time but um obviously they did a better job of portraying certain things in this version yeah like um you know again Certain things might have made a little more sense, like when we first see the little drone thing that's sent to kill him, like Hal McLaughlin's like, if I don't move, it can't sense me. And, you know, if I move, it'll try to kill me. But if somebody comes to the door, it'll try to kill them. You know, it's like, all right, I get it. So someone's about to come to the door and he has to stop that from happening. You know, so it's like, okay, that makes sense. But in this one, you just kind of see in the thing and you don't really have much of an explanation for what it is or why it's there or, you know, what its purpose is, but you just know that it, it looks sinister, it looks malevolent. So you're like, all right, let's uh, let's see what happens with this. So, like, that's one of those examples of, like, maybe a little more exposition might not have been a terrible thing. But, you know, I definitely agree with you. Like, the, the inner monologue thing every five minutes of everybody like I mean, it was a especially with so many fucking psychic characters that like you can read my mind I can read your mind we know what's going on and right it was a it was a it was a bit 
much, but you know, I, I think that maybe if some of it carried over to the more recent ver- version, it would have given a little more backstory, especially for someone who maybe hasn't seen the 84 version or has no knowledge of the books or whatever. If this is their first like foray into this, you know, maybe give a little backstory. But um, yeah, know, I was happy with it though. Like, I think it's it's fine the way they tell the I story. I mean, and I'm I'm maybe because I have both. Well, and you know, there's enough difference between the 84 version and the 2020 or 2021 version, most recent version, uh, to keep you interested. They're telling a slightly different story. You know, um, some things are the same, you know, the way Duke Leto dies and, and what he attempts to do as he passes. Dr. UA. And, yeah, the whole Dr. UA thing, betraying him. Um, you know, but there there are differences with the way that... They should have been called um, House Betraides. <laughs> there is a difference in the way that Jessica and Paul are captured. There's a difference the between the escape. way they escape. Um, you know, they use similar things. You know, they, they use the, the weirding way to get out of both instances. But, you know... Um, Duncan and, Idaho's death is way different. Yeah, I would say he's... Uh, Spoiler. He's a way more valiant, uh, a more meaningful death. It makes the character more meaningful in the, the story more overall. More valiant, too. Well, that's what I said, a more valiant death. Like, it's... it's it's um, like he's essentially sacrificing himself so that they can get away. Did you like the movie? Yeah, the kitty liked the movie. Um, but yeah, he's he's a much better character, I think, overall as well in this. Uh, I mean, he definitely takes some of his like Aquaman uh, and Khal Drogo. Well, I mean, that's just his personality. Well, that's, I, mean, I mean, you know, that's just 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 how he acts. Instead that, of saying my he man, looks. he says my boy. But but it, it it honestly by him doing that uh, immediately establishes a relationship between the two. You know, calling him, you know, he's like, ah, oh, my boy. You know, like uh, there's a mentorship like relationship between the two of them. Yeah, and when when uh, Paul's like, oh, I had a vision of your your you know terrible death. I should go with you so I can protect you and it's like it's like no I'll be fine and then it turns out he is fine until Paul is with him and he sacrifices himself for Paul and for uh for uh Lady Jessica there so I thought that was pretty fun like I I thought the movie overall was very good uh I liked the fact that they expanded on the mythology a little bit but there's still so much that like said, like, feels like it's glossed uh, over. There's a lot. I mean, like, there's so much that we're glossing over because there's a lot of history there. There's the history between the worlds. There's the history of the the spice collecting uh, and why it's so important. Um, you know, there's there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot like, to there's cover. There's a lot, and for this being a first time watch, like both films, it was a lot. It's a lot to kind of process. A lot to uh, kind of take in and try to analyze, you know, enough for a for a podcast. Uh, you know, which is kind of why I'm I'm glad that this newer film is bre- being broken up into two parts, so we can mainly focus on, you know, Paul's journey up to that point. Um, you know, because obviously. 
in the 84 version he succeeds he becomes Paul Mwadib he you know is Usul he's the one he you know his eyes start glowing blue and he becomes you know one with the Fremen people and he's the whole water of life you know yeah exactly he brings rain I'm interested to see how that works he brings rain to the dune which is you know obviously water is their most precious resource because they don't have any of it they have to find ways they wear these suits that kind of recycle your own you know your sweat your your Still yeah suits. you know uh recycle your own water your sweat your tears you know whatever your, did that too. your your secretions you know which sounds gross but uh, and it has a way of of filtering it and recycling you know it. exactly recycling yeah. it yeah it's just uh it's just another one of those you know pretty amazing uh adaptations that people living in the desert seem to have made so i know we're uh, we're going pretty long right. but so what just else you got a couple of things so um kind of talking about a little bit of uh 84 and then the differences with the book so in the finale of the film paul creates rain on arrakis for the first time in the metaphysics of the original text of dune this would not be the smartest move since water is fatally poisonous to the sandworms and thus would stop all spice production forcing humanity into a standstill that's interesting i didn't know that the sandworms that, so that's in the book. Yeah, well, it's they part obviously of the why omitted I don't know that, that from the films. Well, so far, like Correct. we don't know because we, we, we haven't seen we like the vast underwater stores, right. underground stores of water. So the original ending cut from the cinematic version where Paul exiles Emperor Shaddam uh, to Salusa Secundus, uh, becomes the new emperor and agrees to marry Princess Arulan, was the uh, ending from the book. A different ending was used where Paul uses his powers to make it rain on Arrakis. Aliyah pro- proclaimed Aliyah, which is the sister. Oh, yeah, that's another thing, too. He was able to tell his mother that she was pregnant before she even realized she well, was she pregnant. she knew it. She goes, you well, can't she know like, that. I barely know it. It's only well, been a few weeks. Right. She's, yeah. she, it's like she doesn't know it, know it yet. She's not. Well, uh, no, she knows. But, like, she's not certain. It's no, not. She, it's not a. You can't really know after a couple of weeks if well, you're pregnant you're or a, not. When you're a space witch you can like if you can choose the gender of the child you have you know and disobey the other space witches like oh you're supposed to only have daughters how dare you have a son so like, yeah so alaya which is the the daughter that comes from all of this played by uh, Worcester's own alicia witt in the first movie proclaims paul as the prophesies Quisatz, Haderach, and Paul fulfills the prophecy. In both the theatrical cut and the extended version, um, Piter seems to display lustful feelings for Jessica, but ultimately decides to have her executed with Paul by sending them out into the desert to be eaten by sandworms. Not in, in this version. In the original novel, no, not in this version. In the original novel, Piter is given a choice by Baron Harkonnen to either rule Arrakis as the new governor or to have Jessica, and Piter reluctantly chooses Arrakis. So it, by the end of the book, Paul is not only considered to be the Kwisatz Haderach, who is the super being to be created by the Bene Gesserit Sisterhood, but is also the Madai, one of the titles of the Fremen Mess 
messianic figure messianic. he essentially becomes which San he is also San Jesus yes which he is also called prominently in the mini series oh yes that's right there was a mini series however he is also called another title which is Lisan Al-Gib or Al-Gaib Gaib uh, um the Bringer of Water, which is an appropriate title for him in the movie, the miniseries, and the books as he brings water to Arrakis. Well, that's not what it another. meant in this. It no, meant it meant uh, voice, voice from, from the outside, uh, like outer other world. world. Yes. Basically God. Like, so, so that's weird. And a subplot from the novel, which is not included in the movie, details Paul and Chani having an infant son, who they named Leto after Paul's father, Duke Leto. But he is killed by Sardukar. Uh, this subplot of Paul and Chani's infant son was used in the Dune miniseries in 2000. Oh, which I never saw, but I remember seeing commercials for. So that's some interesting stuff. Uh, have you seen this movie yet? If you have, let us know what some of your thoughts are and how it kind of compares and contrasts to the 84 version and, you know, which one you prefer and why. Uh, we'd love to hear from you either on the Facebook group or Thurs- thro- Jesus. Throwdown Thursday Podcast at gmail.com. So we're going to take a quick break, and uh, when we come back, we'll have some awesome stuff for you, including what's coming up next. At Strong-Willed Sports Memorabilia and more, our mission is to raise as much money and awareness for pediatric cancer research as possible through the giving away of authenticated, autographed sports memorabilia and more. All proceeds from our games will be donated to various pediatric cancer foundations, with the majority going to the Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and the Jimmy Fund. Our mission to give back began when Craig and Kara's son, William, was diagnosed with a stage 4 Wilms tumor, and his courage to fight and overcome his cancer ultimately led to the start of the hashtag Strong-Willed Movement. For more information on how to donate and support this great cause, please visit the hashtag Strongwilled Sports Memorabilia and More Facebook group. My planet Arrakis is so beautiful when the sun is low. Rolling over the sands, you can see spice in the air. The outsiders ravage our lands in front of our eyes. Their cruelty to my people is all I've known. What's to become of our world? A boy! <laughs> Duncan, can I trust you with something? Yes, always, you know that. I've been having dreams about a girl on Arrakis. I don't know what it means. Dreams make good stories. But everything important happens when we're awake. Who are you? Put on some muscle? I did? No. We are House Atreides. There is no call we do not answer. There is no faith that we betray. Smile, Gurney. I am smiling. The Emperor asks us to bring peace to Arrakis. House Atreides accepts! I know you. There's only a way in my mind. You need to face your fears. Come with me. 
Duke's son sees too much. This is I do. Kill them all. God in heaven. Get everything with guns off the ground! Go! This is an extermination. They're picking my family off one by one. Let's fight like demons. future of House Atreides. A great man doesn't seek to lead. He's called to it. But if your answer is no, you'll still be the only thing I ever needed you to be. My son. If anything happens, will you protect Paul? Together, can we stand a chance? And we are back. So I do hope you enjoyed that conversation. I know we strayed a little bit off the path, you know, not just talking about Paul, but I mean, that tends to be what we always have to do because you can't discuss one character without, you know, kind of discussing the characters that he interacts with or she interacts with or they interact with because, you know, unless it's just some random character walking down a street like even like the buildings and the weather and you know the time of day all affect what's going on like if we were to cover say uh robert neville from uh uh i know mega man uh i am legend like he even interacts with his dog you know and the mannequins that are around you know if we're going by the will smith version but uh, I do hope you enjoyed the conversation, and you know we thank you for uh, contributing to our list of uh, best and worst uh, sci-fi remakes. But we have battle results for you because this was a battle week. We do. So last week we threw down a friend for the end of the world. Which character would you join forces with in hopes of surviving the zombie apocalypse? And you could choose from Sean. From Shaun of the Dead, Scott Ward from Army of the Dead, Rick from The Walking Dead, or Tallahassee from Zombieland. You could be Coral to Rick. Coral! Uh, and a lot of votes came in, and it was close, both on the Twitters and the Facebooks, but both Facebook and Twitters are uh, in agreement that you would want to join forces with Tallahassee. See, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to join. I voted for uh, for Rick because uh, I think he did really well uh, when it was a Rick Tatorship. Uh I, I think that worked really well. I was actually watching uh, an episode earlier today. Uh, a day will come when you're when you won't be, which is season seven, episode one, uh, when Negan takes care of uh, Abraham and Glenn. Because I hadn't watched that in a while, and I was like, 
for some reason I wanted to watch it because I I didn't remember how that played out. So I rewatched it and it lived up to uh, like the actual like horror and sadness. But you know, Rick Rick always finds a way. Um, you know, at least until he flew off on that helicopter onto the three movies that were supposed to come out like six years ago. I don't know. Um, Tallahassee to me seems like, yeah, he's good, you know, like in a fight, but like I would question whether or not he's really a team player and a leader. Like, is this a guy that I could count on to lead me? Because in the first film, it seemed like the only thing he really cared about was Twinkies. Which, you know, that's a fun character, like, you know, quirk. But but that's me. And then Sean... But, I mean, I mean, but here's the thing. Like, you aren't... You're choosing a character to join forces with. I didn't specify that they would be the leader. You could be the leader. God right. knows I would be the fucking but leader. But I wouldn't want... Like, that's not a guy like, oh... Uh, I'm, you know, Rick's like, all right, we're looking for other survivors. We're looking for a place that we can call home. He's like, I just want some Twinkies. It's like, right. Eh. Well, I mean, Rick is more of a team player. He has. Uh, and Sean, though well intentioned, uh, we talked about a little, him. Yeah, he falls a little short. And who is I the chose other one? Rick as well. Oh, oh uh, and uh, Scott Ward, Scott. you know, Batista from uh, Army of the Dead. Um, uh, he was pretty good. Like, I mean, was, he was good, but there uh, came up a little short on the follow through. He had some flaws as well, but again, his flaws were related to saving his daughter. So I can get that as opposed to, you know, and Sean's flaws were as a result of I'm looking out for someone else. Same with Rick. It's I'm looking out for someone else, whether it's his family you know, whether it's, you know, the group that's come to follow him. Tallahassee is more, I'm looking for Twinkies. I know I know that's an oversimplification, but of the three of them, one of them is motivated by selfish uh, uh, motivations. I don't know, I can't think of the word. I'm not terribly articulate at the moment. And everybody else is, you know, duty to their family. So that's why, who did you vote for? I voted for Rick. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, Again, because he's more of a team player. Yeah. You know, uh, I, Rick I don't will have your back. want someone who's going to be... I. So I would want to team up with somebody who's selfish enough to want to keep themselves alive, but uh, empathetic enough to want to keep other people alive, too. And out of all of those choices, you know, like we said, Sean means well, but you didn't... Know, severely flawed he's not a tactician um, no and and and, and tallahassee i i would f- i feel that was like a weird way to say that tallahassee 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 uh i've been watching a lot of Shit's creek again lately so oh and they have weird british accents you would know if you watch the show. Yeah, Moira Eugene Rose Levy has, is super, Moira super Rose British. has a very eclectic accent. Thank you very much. Yes. She was a baby. Yes, How okay. She was a baby. Anyways, go back to what you were saying. So. About Tallahassee. <laughs> Tallahassee. Uh, I feel like he's just in it too much for himself. And he's not, uh, again, not much of a team player versus, you know, 
Rick is going to make sacrifices uh, that benefits the better of the team, you know, and he wants to see everyone survive, not only himself. Tallahassee would leave you behind. He'd Rick be like, would leave oh, you behind. I could Rick, save you, but there's a Twinkie Rick over there. would leave you behind, but only if it meant, like, you would die, but, like, seven other people would live. Right. But even then, he would try his fucking hardest to be like, hey, you know, I'm going to Worst case, I, I, he would shoot you, you in the head to, right. so you it wouldn't be, be a zombie. It would be a mercy killing. Yeah. So that's pretty much the show. Uh, we did talk about, you know, you want to do Atomic Blonde Yeah, so we're going to do Atomic Blonde next week. That's going to be a first time watch for me. That should be fun. That's going to be... Uh, it's one that's been on my list, so I'm eager to cross yeah. that off. Uh, and I've only watched it once, but we're going to have to uh, figure out when... We're going to be able to do that. Hopefully, like we should be able to do that on Sunday. Well, we can have conversations about this off air. Yeah, because this is really now. boring conversation. No, it's not because people will get to get a peek behind the curtain. Nobody wants a peek behind the curtain. Everybody wants to know what goes on in the background. Everybody wants to Nobody know how the sausage is made. Nobody wants to know <laughs> how the sausage. Oh, speaking of which. Have you seen oh, that stuff going around? Uh, they apparently, Hufu? yes. Yeah, Human I showed it to tofu. you. Yeah, I showed it to you. Are you killer tofu? I don't know that one. Human tofu. But yeah, I would. Uh, I would try it. Human tofu. And I, I would be honest with you, I wouldn't be able to tell the difference. People be like, oh, how is it? I ate his <laughs> liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. It was vegan. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, we will <laughs> you know, see, see you next, next Thursday. Thursday.